Well, good morning, church. How are you today? Good. It's good to be with you. And uh, I am so looking forward to our Christmas Eve and Eve Eve services and on the 23rd and the 24th. In fact, this week we uh, finished shooting some of the footage for some of uh, the video portion of it. We've been shooting this footage literally all over the country since September uh, for, for this coming night. It's going to be one of the greatest services that we have ever done and been a part of, and I'm looking forward to it. And I hope that you are inviting people to come with you. Uh, in fact, uh, this is one of the greatest opportunities of the year, maybe greater than Easter even, but certainly second to Easter in our culture, people are open to attend church on Christmas Eve and they, they will come if you invite them. Now I've taught you before that the culture you and I live in would no more come to a service because a banner is put out front that says services at six, eight and 10 or whatever the times are that they, they're not going to come that any more than they would come to your house and watch a football game with you without being invited. It, they're just not going to do it. But stats say that an enormous percentage will come if you personally invite them to come. And, and so the reason we do two, three or four services, depending on the campus is so that you have multiple opportunities. And if these neighbors say they'll come at two, you bring them at two. And then these say they'll come at six. Then you come again and bring them at six. And, and then you come on the 24th. And, and, and so you have all these opportunities for you to come. We're not providing all of those opportunities to make this convenient for you and your, your family get together. That has nothing to do with what we are doing. You and your family should be at all of these services, bringing people with you. This is the window where, where the city will say, hey, yes, we will come and, and go with you. In fact, as excited as I am about the 23rd and 24th, I'm not looking past the 22nd uh, because next, next Sunday we'll do regular services and we'll do part three of the service that we're in and, and then we'll kick off the services for the community on the 23rd and the 24th. And I don't want to help you right now, okay? I just want to coach you for a second. Get out your phone, okay? Everybody who has a phone, get out your phone. Unless you're carrying a flip phone, just leave it in, in your, your satchel, okay? Your, your, your horse bag or whatever you're carrying. But, but, but if you have a smartphone that's an Android or Samsung or, or iPhone or whatever, get it out, and, and I want you to go to the Facebook app. And, you, and some of you say, well, I don't have Facebook. Download the app right now, okay? Go get the Facebook app. I know if you're under 30, you don't have Facebook. But, but go ahead and get it because I'm going to lead you to some images on on Facebook that you can share on Instagram or Twitter or whatever else and that you could text directly to uh, people. So get it out, go to the Facebook app, type in B-A-T-T, -T, just start looking for Battle Creek, okay? In fact, let me just show you how to do that. There in, in Facebook, tape it, uh, type it in, there it is, Battle Creek Church, go click on it and it will take you to uh, a, a list and you'll see our church listed there. Click on our church, okay? And it will open up the Facebook page of our church. Then I want you to go to the bottom where it says posts. You see that right there at post? Click on post, and, and then you'll see one of the latest posts we have are all these graphics for Christmas Eve, okay? Now click on that post, and then you can scroll uh, through it to your campus, whichever campus you're at, okay? And so find your campus and then click on that particular image. If you wanted to share it for all of the campuses, go down to the generic one down there that has all of the campuses listed. You can click on it. And now you wanna send it somewhere else, those three dots in the top right. Go to that and then put save photo. That's for those of you who wanna share it to Instagram. That's for those of you who wanna text it directly to a friend, okay? But, but if you just want to share it, then you just click on uh, share the post 
And then you can type whatever. Hey, love for you to come and go with me. Let me know if you want to go. I'll pick you up however you want to do it. Okay, so go do that right now. You, you, you can share it right now. There should be thousands of them shared this morning. And then do it all week long. But don't forget to personally reach out to people verbally and, and via text to say, I would like for you to personally be our guest at, at one of these services. Okay, and there's all kinds of announcements we can make today. But I just want you to learn how to do this because... This is where the world lives. They, they live on social media, and so we have to constantly go to it to put good up there. We, God knows we all see a lot of stuff we would prefer not to see on, on social media. So let's put invitations to life-giving places out there on social media. And in fact, I also want to say to you while I'm in the role of making announcements, I'm really looking forward to our week of prayer and fasting that's going to happen as we begin the brand new year. I always uh, love those moments together, January 5 uh, through the 12th, that will be that week. And on January the 5th, we're beginning a brand new series as we start the new year called Out of Order. And we're going to talk about getting things in the right order, but we're going to talk about getting those things that aren't working into a working and in-order fashion. It's going to be a great series. Now, let me just mention before we jump in today, today is the day that we will gather our annual uh, Christmas offering. And I'm so excited. I hope you're excited to to come and to present your gift to the Lord. Uh, In fact, I just want to announce to you today that our staff team had our Christmas party this last week at lunch uh, on one of the days. I don't, I had so many parties. Tuesday, we had a, a, a party, a staff Christmas party. And in that staff Christmas party, we had this worship moment that was really special. And the staff all brought their Christmas offerings to the Lord early. And, and I just want to announce to you today that our staff team, somewhere around 60 households, brought $90,000 to the annual Christmas offering. And, and those are the people that are leading you. And, and uh, they're in, they are bought in, and they are sacrificial, and, and they're excited about it, and, and we're excited about it. And so we, we can't wait to see what God does in uh, th- this Christmas offering. And I want you to know this. I've said this before. We use the Christmas offering to build the church. But God uses the Christmas offering to build us. And what he's doing is building our faith. And faith is the way that God blesses us. Faith is the way and grace is the means. And I believe God wants to build all of our faith at the end of this year. And last week, we began the series asking this question. How many of you remember the name of the book that this famous line, Twas the Night or Twas the Night Before Christmas, came from? And there were two of you that remembered the name of the book. And the name of the book was A Visit from St. Nicholas by Clement Clark Moore. And one of the things that I pointed out last week is the truth is that line towards the night before Christmas traces its origin to long before Moore penned those words in 1823. They actually date all the way back to the year 90, 90 AD, and they were penned by the Apostle John in his book called The Gospel of John in the very first chapter. And if you got your Bible, turn there. I hope you did bring a Bible. Turn there to John chapter 1, and we're going to pick up where we left off. Last week, uh, we started. We're in week two of a brand new series we're calling Twas the Night Before Christmas. And all month long, we're going to be in one chapter of John, John chapter 1. In fact, we probably won't get all the way through it, but we'll go as far as the Lord lets us and as fast 
fast as we possibly can. But, but I want to give you some backstory again today. There are four accounts to the Christmas story. They are called the Gospels. The first three, Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, uh, the, their versions of the life of Jesus are written like documentaries. They'd be great on television today because they're documentary style. John's version is more uh, like a screenplay, and he takes more of a cinematic approach uh, to telling the story of the life of Jesus. And I want to say to you again, if you're here in our midst during this month of December and you don't like Jesus, all you need is more information. Okay. I just, I just want you to know that I'm so confident in who Jesus is that if you're here and you don't like him, all you need is more information. No one in the Bible ever only liked Jesus. They either gave their lives to him or they wanted to take his life, but there was no in-between. And so we're picking up where we left off last week in verse 6 because the scripture, quite honestly, takes a really sharp turn here in in verse 6. God sent a man named John uh, the Baptist. Now, for those of you who are new to church, I want to stop right there and help you for just a second, okay? Because, and, and by the way, those of you who are new to church, we're so glad that there are so many of you here. Uh, and, and in fact, we've designed a church where you would have on-ramps to get on, to come and know God and find freedom and discover your purpose and, and, and make a global difference. But, but if you're new here, this John that's mentioned is one of many Johns in the Bible. It gets really confusing, actually, because it appears that every other person in the Bible is named John. And, and, uh, and so it gets weird. It's hard to understand at times. And so I, I just want to say to you, this John is mentioning another John. You catch that? Okay. And so the author of this book, John, uh, the apostle John, who's writing the book of John or the gospel of John, it, it is mentioning another John. And the other John that he's mentioning, we refer to him as John the Baptist. Years ago, I had an older man approach me, and, and he said, hey, did you ever consider or ponder putting the name Baptist on your church? And, and I said, yeah, we, we thought about it and opted out. And, and uh, he said, I think you should reconsider. And I said, yeah, why would we do that? And, and he said, well, why would you not? And I said, well, some people have baggage, and they have a bad background or a bad experience in, 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 a, in a church labeled with a, with a name like that. And I don't want them to associate that with here. I don't want to put a barrier up that would prevent us from reaching all people of all ages, right, all the time. And, and he said, well, I just think if you would put Baptist on the name, uh, it would help you reach a lot of people. I said, really? And he, he said, there are disgruntled Baptists all over Tulsa, and if they saw Baptist on your name, you could reach them. I said, please don't tell them. <laughs> I, I, I want you to hear me. That's not our target. That's not what we're not going after. In fact, I run from disgruntled Baptists, not to them. Uh, that is not what we're going after. But the same man looked at me and said, well, if it was good enough for John, it's good enough for me. And I said, I don't, I don't follow. And, and he, he said, John, if it's good enough for him. I said, yeah, I'm telling you, I don't, I don't understand what you're saying. What do you mean? And he said, John the Baptist. And I said, bless your heart. That's what holy people say when they mean you're a moron. Uh, Because Baptist was not his denomination. Baptist was his hobby. He baptized people. In fact, John the Baptist could be John the baptizer. He was taking people and dunking them under the water in in, in the Jordan River as a part of their uh, repentance and coming to Christ. And so, in fact, let me just say to you, if you're here and you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and for whatever reason, you haven't taken that step of believer's baptism, hear me, you'll never get the step three, four, five, 100, 200. You won't because you have to surrender to God's way and, and you got to do it his way. And that's part of his way is for you to follow the Lord and believers baptism. And so if that's you, take this connect card out of the seat pocket in front of you. 
And on the front, it says my decision day, send me information on baptism. In fact, let me just say this to you. December 23rd, December 24th, Christmas Eve, what a better time than for you to give Jesus the gift of your obedience and and your surrender to him. That's what he wants on his birthday, by the way. He, he, He wants your obedience. He wants your faith. And so take a step of faith and just mark, tell us which service you're going to be at and we'll plan to baptize you on one of those amazing services on the 22nd or the 23rd. But this guy that we're talking about here, John the Baptist, his birth was miraculous. It was predicted by an angel to his mother, Elizabeth, and, and she must have been overjoyed when she got that news. In fact, we see that in, in the screenplay that, that she was old. She was very old and she thought she would never have a baby. And now she's pregnant and the plot thickens as her cousin, Mary visits her to say, Hey, I'm also pregnant and I'm pregnant with the son of God, Jesus Christ. And, and Elizabeth's response to that could have been, you know, could have been so proper, you know, kind of playing and, and kind of thing playing out there, but it wasn't. In fact, what she said is that makes me even more happy, which by the way, set the stage for John the Baptist to recognize that his m- motto of I must decrease and Jesus must increase. And if my life is to be truly significant, I got to decrease, he must increase. And John the Baptist lived that out. By the way, because he lived that out, he was arrested and eventually executed. But while he was in prison, he sent this message over to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? And maybe you're here today at one of our campuses and you're asking questions like that. Is this thing really real? Is Christianity really the real deal? Is Jesus really who he says he is? And by the way, if you're asking questions like that, you're in good company. And and listen, as we move into Christmas, Christmas is the happiest time of the year for so many people. But as a pastor, can I just share with you, for just as many people, it's painful. And it brings up the memory of lost loved ones. And and it brings up the reminder of those loved ones you're now celebrating without. And it brings up whatever it is that is in your past. And hear me, the modern Americanized version of Christmas is so painful because it is so packed full of all of the promise and none of the reality, none of it. And John is sitting in that prison and he asks, are you the one Jesus or or should we be looking for someone else? And again, if you're here asking questions like that, you're not only in good company, you're actually in biblical company. And Jesus answers and says, hey, look, 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 my arrival is me entering into this current world with all of its flaws and all of its darkness. I'm not building a new one. I'm not going to a fake one. I'm coming into this world. Remember last week we said that that Jesus declared the true light really has come into the world and the darkness will not overcome it. In other words, it was the night before Christmas, right? It was night and it was dark and it was all dark. Verse six, where we started, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Verse 8, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness. Say witness. Circle that word in your Bible. He was simply a witness to the light, to tell about the light. Hear me, there's only one light. 
And this was the problem from the very beginning, that God would send his truth, his light, and his people were blind to it. And we're looking at, in in this series, the beginning of John, John's version of the Christmas story, the, the Christmas story, the traditional one that we read every year, is found in Matthew and in Luke. Uh, only. In fact, what Mark does is he jumps right into the middle of the action. But what John does is go back, 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 all the way to the beginning, not the beginning of, uh, of Christmas, the beginning of creation. And he parallels it with Genesis one, one Matthew and Luke tell us what happened. John's telling us the meaning behind what happened. And in case you weren't here uh, last week, you should go watch it online. But if you, if you weren't here last week, let me back up and get a running start that got us to verse 6 where we started today. Verse 1, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Now you jump down to verse 14, by the way, which is where Christmas plays out. Because in verse 14 it says, and the Word, the, the Logos, who is the Theos, according to John, became flesh and dwelt among us. We'll jump into this one next Sunday on on the 22nd. But I I told you last year that that word in the Greek is actually the word sakoded, which is the feast of tabernacles, the feast of Sukkot, that he moved into an earth suit, that he came into an earth tent. I love the message. The message paraphrase of the Bible right there says, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And last week we unpacked exactly how that works and what that means to say that in Jesus, God is with us. Now go back and watch last week if you missed it because it it will bring you up to speed to where we are. Verse three, God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. And for the Jews... The imagery of light and the Messiah, they go hand in hand. And if you're a Jew, you knew that. And you didn't need anybody pointing that out to you. But if you're like most of us, not a Jew, what you need is someone to connect the dots for you. And that's what John does. John goes ahead and connects the dots for us. Last week, I asked you this question. Do you remember what the first act of creation was? Do you remember what it was? Yeah, let there be light. Very beginning. And you get all the way to the end of the Bible, in the very last book of the Bible, in the Revelation. And it says, in the end times, there will be no need for the sun anymore. Why? Because Jesus will be the light, literally, of the whole world. So from beginning all all the way to the end and everywhere in between, Jesus is light. He was there at creation. He will be the light throughout all eternity. And and he broke into, that's what Christmas is, he broke into this world with the light coming into the darkness. So from beginning to end and all in between, he is the light. Not he has light, not he gives light, he is the light. And so light is so very, very important to this story, okay? So let's keep reading. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, here we are again, verse 6, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. Verse 8 again, John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness. Circle that word. I'll come back to it in a minute. To tell about the light. The one who is the true light 
who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now, that word witness, it's the same Greek word from which we derive our English word martyr. To be a witness is to be a martyr. And and, and he's not trying to imply that all of us should give our lives physically. What he's doing is casting a shadow on his motto, I must decrease and he must increase. I must, not, I must not die physically, necessarily for him. I must die to myself and decrease so that he can increase. In other words, the greatest thing we can do in this 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we get here on planet Earth is to point people to Jesus, the light of the world. And God overcame the dark by giving by giving his son and we can participate with him in overcoming the darkness by giving as well. In fact, let me just point out to you today three things about John the Baptist that made him such a great witness. Uh, When I wrote this message, it was actually in June. I was in Colorado at a youth camp and and, uh, in between the morning and evening services, I was studying and writing. And when I came to this passage of scripture, I I began to think, what was it about John the Baptist? Let's drop anchor right here. And and so I went and studied all the passages that talk about John the Baptist story. And I think I've got it narrowed down to three things that made him such a great witness witness to Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear me today. There is a way of life that exposes the darkness of this world and reveals it as a place that cannot keep its promises. And John the Baptist's life, what was that? And here's the first word that I want you to write down today, the word holiness. You used to hear that in church all the time. It's a word that's all over scripture, actually. In fact, look at Mark chapter 6. This is about John the Baptist, so Herodias, which is a really bad name. If you name your daughter Herodias, that's a bad start. She will be bitter. She will be unhappy. She's just not a good person. Herodias bore a grudge against John, that's John the Baptist, and wanted to kill him. But without Herod, that's King Herod, by the way, crazy, crazy as a lunatic, King Herod. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod, the king of kings, respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, protected him. Are you seeing this play out? In fact, look at what it goes on to say. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But but even so, he liked to listen to him. Now listen, this Herod was ruthless. He killed five of his immediate family members because he didn't want them to have the throne one day. That's how paranoid and schizophrenic this guy was. On his deathbed, he initiated a slaughter all across the land so that he would be sure there was mourning in the land at the time of his death. And you thought you have a crazy cousin, Eddie. (laughs) He was a lunatic. And you're saying, Alex, that guy was afraid to pull the trigger on a wilderness preacher? Yes. Why? Because he was the only man that Herod feared. Why? Because he was righteous and he was holy. And this is not some mysticism. You want to know what holy means? It means set apart. That's what it means. Just set apart. He was confusingly different 
yet he drew him in. He was confusingly different, yet, yet he drew him in. Holiness is not about legalism either. It's not about all the rules. It's about the symbolism that, that John was in this world, but he was not of this world. And here's a question I would love for you to ponder today. Is your life confusing and yet attractive to, to the people around you? Is your life worth imitating? And what if your life was summed up by the phrase, witness to the light? How awesome would it be if that was all of our epitaphs one day? Witness to the light. He he was holy or holiness. Number two was generosity. Generosity. Just look at Luke chapter three. The crowds asked. Crowds came to hear this guy, John the Baptist. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Verse 12, even the corrupt tax collectors came to to be baptized by this guy, John. And they said, teacher, what should we do? And he replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. Verse 14, "What, what should we do? Asked some of the soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content. Say content. Be content with your pay. Now hear me. This is so amazing that Jewish peasants, Roman soldiers, and tax collectors were all drawn to this guy and his message. And here's the summary, by the way, to, to this audience that was so incredibly diverse. Whatever your lot in life, give it away. Whatever your lot in life, be generous with it. Not if you have a lot, be generous. Whatever your lot, be generous with it. In other words, courage to be generous doesn't come from having a lot. Courage to be generous comes from faith in the one who will provide. Right? That's what he did on the cross. And so he says, whatever your lot in life, give it away and be generous with it. In other words, what is it that makes you feel valued, accepted, and secure? What is it that makes you, ponder this question, what is it that makes you feel valued, accepted, and secure? And and John didn't leave it to them to figure it out. He said, let me help you out with that. Peasants, for you, It's having enough food or clothing, not for tomorrow, but but for today, just for today. And if you have more than you need for just today, give it away. Give your extra meal away. Give your extra outfit away. To those of you who are tax collectors, it's wealth that makes you feel more than the average citizen. Give it away. Redistribute it to the soldiers. It's position for you. Position has given you a role that makes you feel superior to society. So give your position away. Take that very thing that you need to feel valued, accepted, and secure. Give it away. Fill in the blank for yourself. What is that thing? What is it for you? I need to be admired. To feel valued, accepted, and secure. I I need to feel invited. I I need to be skinny. I need to be liked. 
I need to be wealthy. I, I need to be married. I need to be better. I need to be successful. I need to be attractive. I need to be intelligent. I need to be respected. I need to be impressive. I need to be fit. What is it? What, what, what is it for you that would fill in that blank? And, and according to John the Baptist, whatever you put in that blank, give it away. Generosity has a whole lot more to do with, with, with the heart of the individual than it does the world outside the individual. And what we give actually reveals our hearts. It's what God does in our heart. And it's the overflow of that that actually impacts the world around us. And when you get this, listen to me, your taste buds begin to change. That they begin to change. When your heart is captured by glorious promises, your heart quits beating to the empty promises of this world. It just quits. And, and so holiness and, and generosity, here, here's the third one. Uh, we mentioned it a moment ago, contentment. We just read a verse where he, he used the word content, but, but over in Matthew chapter three, he's preaching and to all of these audiences, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, let me give you the backstory because this is amazing. John's dad was a Levite priest, the end game of which was to become a Sadducee or a Pharisee, okay? That's his life's mission and his life's dream, to one day gain an audience with the Sadducees or the Pharisees and to become one of them. And here is John the Baptist, his son, and those guys that his dad wanted an audience with are taking days off work to come and hear him preach, now, just confession to you. When one of my heroes shows up at our church, which they do from time to time, when one of my heroes shows up at a conference or an event that I'm preaching at, I'm even now, at this stage in the game, tempted to change the message backstage and to jump to a message that I'm very familiar with and very comfortable with and, and will make me look good. Even at this stage in the game, in that moment, I am tempted to preach at my hero instead of to the audience or the congregation because this is my moment to prove myself. Listen, that didn't happen to John. He's not tempted to perform for them. He just preached to them. And when you read the story, he invited them to the same water that he invited everyone else to. He was so free in his heart that the elite of his vocation came to see him and he doesn't care. He was not preoccupied with the trappings that others were trapped by. Content people, hear me, are the most dangerous people on the planet. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. And John says that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness cannot extinguish it. That they are living in darkness, but Jesus is the light of the world. And the greatest light on the planet can overcome any darkness. But you have to believe and you have to accept that Jesus is who he says he is. Look at verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him. He gave the right to become the, say it with me, children. Say it again, children. He gave the right to become the children of God. When we become the children of God, we are changed. 
When we become the children of God, we are transformed. When we become the children of God, we are made different. Like I told you earlier, Jesus declared he is the light of the world. But but in another scripture, he, he, he says that we are the light of the world. Over in Matthew 5, actually, is where it is, that Jesus says, you are a city on a hill and a light that cannot be hidden. You go with me to Galilee one day, and as we're making our way into Galilee or on our way out of Galilee, uh, it, whichever one happens to be at night in the dark, you look off uh, to your left on the way in, your right on the way out, and you see a massive city on a hill that's lit up. Jesus was standing down below in the valley, thousands of feet below, and, and he looked up and saw a a first century city that was all lit up. And he looked at his disciples and said, you are like a city on a hill. It cannot be hidden. It's shining there, of course, but it's shining out to the whole world. In other words, you were not designed to simply absorb the light. That's not in your capacity or in your capability. We, we, we put crystals here on this whiteboard uh, for, for you to see. And, and crystals, I, I, I thought maybe I need to explain it because some of you are from Arkansas. And there's uh, kind of a fascination with them in, in Arkansas. Like you can pull over on the side of the road and buy them. Just rocks. It's weird, actually. And, uh, but we got a new coach, so maybe we'll win a game. And, and so when, when you take a crystal, but I Googled crystals this morning, actually, and here's what it says. It's very transparent and very refractive. It's a great picture for those of us who are the gems of God. When we're transparent about what we're walking through and how we're dealing with it and how Jesus is helping us, we we reflect the light. When we're very refractive and not just absorbing and and, and hoarding the light, but we reflect it uh, into the lives of other people, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And and so look how how, how cool that is when I shine the light on that crystals. Isn't that so cool? And if you're going, no, it's not cool, then you're honest and transparent. The rest of you are not very transparent. It's not cool at all. And the point is, is that we were not made to simply absorb the light. We were made to reflect the light. And and, and when you take the light and you shoot it into a place where you reflect the light, look look, look at what happens. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing that happens when when we reflect the light. And we actually, on our own, don't even have light. The message paraphrase of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, you're like a city on a hill. Here's what it says in the message. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light in order to bring out the God colors in this world. Isn't that beautiful? That you are here to bring out the God colors in this world. He goes on to say, keep your houses open and be generous with your lives and you will bring out the God colors in this world. That that we are are shining out into the world and and when we are transparent and, and honest about what we're dealing with and when we reflect the light that is coming into us, it's not our light. We simply receive the light. We simply reflect the light. We are shining it out to the world. And just like John the Baptist, we are reflecting the light that Jesus is. He is. And we are shining out the light that Jesus put in us. And and so this next year, we just picked three things to highlight. We're we're doing lots of things, but but there are three things we're, we're highlighting to shine out the light in, in 2020. And the the first one is our special needs ministry, what we call HAVEN. And uh, HAVEN stands for 
honoring and valuing every need. Honoring and valuing every need. And we, and we took the name special needs off of that ministry uh, this last fall because some of the special needs teenagers and, and adults are high functioning. And, and they don't want to see that they're going into special needs. They want to go to the haven, which is a refuge. Every single week, almost, I hear from a family either here at church or out in the community where they say, Pastor Alex, the reason we're here is because of Haven. That's the reason we're here. Because you have highly competent, highly qualified, highly trained, caring people who take care of our family so that we can come and worship and it's a great experience for, for us. Can, can I just be vulnerable and just share with you a quick story from a couple weeks ago? A couple weeks ago, we did parent-child dedication. Most of you don't know that because you show up at the 915 or the 1115 service. <laughs> the, the, the 9 and 11 services are amazing. <laughs> you should try them. Amazing stuff happens. But, but, but at 9 and 11, a few weeks ago, we did parent-child dedication where we uh, helped families dedicate 68, I think, children to the Lord. And on that particular day, we, we, we did parent-child dedication, and, and I got a request earlier in the week via Tammy and my personal assistant and, and from Tracy and our special needs ministry. In fact, uh, why don't you just go ahead and thank Tracy and Jennifer who lead those ministries and, and lead them so well. What a gift. What a gift they are to our church. And that day we did the nine o'clock service and then I went out and did the guest reception. At the end of the guest reception, a man I know, I guess, I guess Alan's 60 years old. Been our church a long time. If you're younger than 60, Alan, I'm sorry. And, uh, but but he, he approached me with a grown man next to him and said, hey, that, that man that we baptized at nine, do you see that on the screen? That, that man was my son. And there was a moment where I got choked because for many years, Alan would stop by the guest reception in the old worship center when we met down the hall in the student area. And he would come to the guest reception and he would say, hey, pray for my son. And his son was deployed to Afghanistan to defend the United States of America and freedom. And while he was there, he saw some things that messed him up. And Consequently, he ended up in some addictive behaviors and addictive lifestyle. And there were many times that Alan said, pray for, for my son, pray for my son. And then, and then he said, hey, he got baptized. And, he, and the grown son looked at me and just said, hey, I was addicted to some things. But God set me free and now Jesus lives in my heart and I was baptized today. And then he looked at me and he said, and I want to go to Egypt and talk to those in the recovery houses at some point. It is awesome to get to hear stories like that over and over and over and over again. And so when we finished this little reunion in this little prayer time, I, I looked at Alan and I asked him about a mutual friend, a mutual friend named Carol, who, who was widowed. Her, her husband died a few years ago. She's a young, young woman to have lost her husband. And so I, I knew Alan was friends with Carol, and we were mutual friends. And I said, hey, have you seen Carol? Is Carol okay? How, how are she and the girls doing? And 
And he said, yeah, we meet her at church sometimes. We take her to lunch and we're still close and friends. She's doing well. And, and so I left that guest reception, hadn't thought about Carol. This is the honest truth. Probably 90 days, 100 days, two or three months, haven't thought about Carol. She hadn't entered my mind. I, but that day, for whatever reason, because of Alan, I'm asking about Carol. So I come in here and we do the parent-child dedication here, but then we go into the green room backstage to do this special needs child dedication because the request was, hey, my little boy, Henry, he can't do it. The, the stimulation is going to be unbelievable for him to walk across the stage in front of the seven of you that are here at that time. And, and uh, it, it will be too much. And so uh, can we do a private one? And so I agreed to do it because that's just what you do. That's just the right answer. It's just a good answer for a person who's a believer, not just a pastor, anybody, right? You meet people's needs and you care for them. And sometimes you can do it in a big way that does for everybody. And sometimes you do it individually. And I said, of course, when I, there was, I never even dawned on me to say no to that request. But, but so when I said, okay, I, I made my way into the, into the green room and there was Carol in the green room. Now, I'll be honest with you. It was about eight or 10 more minutes before my brain clicked as to what was happening here. Well, I thought, what's Carol doing in here? And, and how ironic. I just thought about Carol. And then I backed up and looked at the family and lo and behold, dear Jesus, this is Carol's family. Now, what I didn't tell you about Carol, the reason I'm friends with Carol is because I was friends with her husband, Tom. Tom was a big guy physically and a big guy personality. He's Irish Catholic and crusty. And his friend, Chris Hislop, invited him to our church. He came to the dinner with the pastor. He left the dinner with the pastor and he told Chris, I, I don't like that preacher. <laughs> and... Uh, so Chris shared that with me, and a few days later, I called Chris to ask him a question about something else, and he said, hey, Tom's in the car with me. I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. I said, put him on speakerphone. <laughs> Tom said, hello. I said, hey, Tom, what is it you don't like about me? <laughs> we don't all play that way, but that's how I play. Yeah, uh, 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 he crawfished all over the place. I said, no, 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 look, you, I know you don't like me. You told your friend you don't like me and you told him why and he's listening so you can't lie. So now that I'm asking in front of him, you have to tell me why you don't like me. And, and he said, okay, I, I don't like that at the dinner you asked me to give my money. I don't like it. I said, hey, Tom, can I, can I be honest with you? I don't care if you come to church here or not couldn't care less. But I, I, I want to pastor you for a minute and tell you the truth. If you go find a church where the pastor won't talk about money, it's not a good one. And he said, what do you mean? I said, he's not courageous. God talks a lot about money. In fact, he talks more about money than he does love, hell, heaven combined. And he wants to use it to get your heart. That's why God talks about money. He doesn't need our money. He wants your heart. But when you're holding on to your money, your hand is closed and it can't be open to receive what God wants to put in it. The only reason God asks you to open your hand and give what's in it is so that he can put something better in it. He can't give you something when you're holding that tight to it. And I said, and if you find a preacher who won't talk about money, it's because he's not generous. 
He's selfish and he's greedy and he can't talk about it because he suffers the own conviction. And so I just want to love you by telling the truth. Your issue is not with me. Your issue is with your maker. And I would love to help you with that. I said, Chris, drive the car to Lone Star. And he drove it. I said, I'll meet you there in 10 minutes. And I went and met him when we had lunch. And Tom ended up giving his life to Jesus, following Christ in baptism, and began to grow in his journey with Christ. And over the years, I wish that was the end of the story, but it's not. Because over the years, he, he got really high and he got really low. And his business would thrive and thrive. And he, he, he would become this uh, spender. When, and he, he wasn't, you know, trusting the Lord at that point. And then it would go low and he, he got depressed. He got hooked on alcohol. He became an alcoholic. And many times he told me, I'm not an alcoholic. I just have a habit. I said, let me just tell you something. If alcohol is damaging relationships in your life, you have an alcohol problem. He ended up taking his own life. My friend. And at the funeral, we shared the gospel. And his son-in-law came to know Jesus at the funeral. And now I'm in the guest reception a few years later, and I step back, and dear Jesus, it's Tom's family. And because of our special needs ministry, because I just agreed to do the right thing, not only did I get to bless a family, I got to bless my friend's family and watch this play out because of our special needs ministry and stories like that. Listen to me, that, that is what this is about. Second area we're shining a light on and shining a light through is TUL. Listen, it, it's not just for our six campuses here in Tulsa. We have opened this up to small churches all over the metroplex of TUL. And, and we, we want to resource the small churches. We want to reach kids who don't know Jesus and redeploy them back into their churches with the passion and the fire and, and take that fire into every church in the city. Uh, uh, last year, one, a pastor from Stillwater uh, heard about it and said, I want to bring my teenagers. We don't have anything cool that we, just, we could pull off or put on to take teenagers to. And so he said to his own kids, hey, would you invite some of your friends? I'll drive you to Tulsa and buy you pizza. They got 18 kids to come. And after I gave the invitation, I was walking down the aisle. And as I was walking down the aisle, the pastor caught me and he hugged me and he said, look at my aisle. I said, I, I don't know what you want me to look at. It's just chairs. He said, exactly. They all got saved. And they're all in the counseling room. All 18 of them. And we sent 18 new believers back to this little church in Stillwater, Oklahoma, to, to redeploy them with life into that city. And, and I believe that God will let, not only let us do TEL, we'll do OKC one of these days. And we'll go into that metroplex and we'll invite small churches in to help redeploy these kids on fire for Jesus. The, the third area is TC, Egypt and, and Jordan. Every time I go to TC Jordan, the joy among people who have lost everything and because they are refugees, no longer have permission to even work. And the joy they have in Christ is so incredibly contagious. To, to see ladies still covered culturally in Muslim garb, lift their hands and sing praise songs to Jesus is mind-blowing. In Egypt, I've been asked to, to lead and to speak at a, a pastoral alliance and leadership session for 2,000 Middle Eastern pastors and ministers in the spring and March. Also been asked to, to bring a delegation of people from Tulsa to meet with their government leaders. So maybe you should go. 
well, maybe you should go with me. They, they specifically ask for people who are politicians, people who are business leaders, uh, people who are in recovery and, and can speak to recovery and, and medical people. And, and maybe you should sign up and go and be a part of this trip in March, the last week of March, somewhere around the 20th to the 27th. I preached at the Global Leadership Summit in the Middle East because people are recognizing our leadership and our reach in that part of the world. And here's the first step, it's always the same. The first step, the first step, the first step is allowing God to shine a light into the darkness. That's the step. What did he do? He separated the light from the darkness, didn't he? That's what Jesus did. He separated the light from the darkness. And in John 1, he says, I am greater than all the darkness. And we've zeroed in on, on things like these three for this next year. And the darkness is in all three of these areas. In fact, there's darkness all over the world. But God has given us a clear vision and direction and marching orders. And, and, and if you're sitting here thinking and wondering how, how would we do that? Listen, we're all wondering how. I know that not all of you are going to be able in 2020 to get on a plane and go to Egypt or to Jordan. I know not all of you will volunteer at our three uh, TUL events in, in, in 2020, but, but as we prepare for the new year, listen, we, we fund things like this, and, and all of us can be a part of it and shining our light, and the most elementary way that we can do that is with the Christmas offering. It's the way we prepare for what's coming. It's the way we fund the things like we're talking about. And, and when you give, you're not just giving to a Christmas offering. You're giving so that we can have and hear and participate in more and more stories like the ones I just told you. Church, sacrifice. Listen, sacrifice. Let me tell you what sacrifice is. Sacrifice is giving up what you love for what you love more. And every time for 16 years, we've come to crossroads like this. Meredith and I have the conversations. And look, we're, we're like, hey, we could buy a boat. We, we, we could, you know, get another place. We could get a lake house. We, we, could, we could do these things. We could get these toys. We could fix this. We, we want to change out windows one day. We want to change out countertops and cabinets in our home. And we want to replace some floors. We, we, we want all of those things. But you know what we want more than all? I'm not saying we don't want these things. We do. Nothing wrong with wanting those things. But we want these stories more. And, and so that's sacrifice to say, hey, I, I, it's not that I don't want these things. I want these things. But I want these stories more. And, and so when we give, that's what we're giving to. When we give, we're giving so that we can see more kids all around Tulsa saved and trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We're, we're giving so that we can reach more people in Jordan and in Egypt so we can minister to families who have special needs, family members. That's what this offering is all about is shining the light out into the darkness. And in John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will have light. To follow him is to have light, the light of the world. I was thinking about that phrase. I, we'll do a sermon on it another time. Light of the world. What does that mean, light of the world? It's not owned by the world, clearly, right? That can't be theologically what it means, light of the world. Light of the world, it, it, it can't mean a whole lot of things because all the darkness is not gone. What, what does it mean? Let me just real quick, I'll just dump some theology on you today at the last minute for you to think about all week long. What does the light of the world mean? Number one, could it mean that the world has no light other than him? 
In other words, it's Jesus or darkness. There is no alternative. Could, could it mean, number two, that the, all of the world needs Jesus a, a, as the light? In other words, there is no other light. But number three, could it, could it mean that the world was made for this light? In other words, creation was made for the light of the world, the one who created it. Or, or number four, maybe all of them, with the light, we now see the world as it is and as wanted by the light. The lamp is in us and it is shining out. And the eyes of our hearts have been opened, church. And, and because we have life and because we have light, we must respond. And today we're going to respond in an act of gratitude. And today we're going to respond in an act of worship by bringing our Christmas offering to the Lord today. We're going to give from our treasure, from our stored up treasure, from our heart to God. And so on every campus, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and I want to lead you in a prayer. And as I lead in this prayer, could, could I just take a moment and lead you and remind you of our goal? Our primary goal is that all people who call Battle Creek home and attend Battle Creek would participate at one level or another in the Christmas offering. All people, all ages. And so if you're here today and you haven't prepared you didn't come prepared. That's okay. The envelope you sat on when you came in and sat down, would you just take it? And would you right now prepare yourself? All people. You say, you're making me uncomfortable. I'm making myself uncomfortable. But I'm following the Lord. All, all, all people. So if you're not ready to give, would you take a minute and get ready to give? Doesn't matter what campus you're at. Even if you're watching online, would you prepare? to give and to be a part of this today. Father, I pray over our church. Give us faith. Grow our faith. And may the gospel go forth. May it shine like a light in the darkness. And Father, we thank you that the darkness cannot extinguish it. That it cannot win. And so Father, we thank you with a promised outcome winning and we pray today that you would win in our hearts individually in our families and in our lives we faith you today and we give from what you have put in our hands use it to expand your name and your renown in Tulsa America and all over the world in Jesus name we pray and together we say Amen. Would you stand together at every single campus? The bands are going to come at every campus. They're going to play that song, Let There Be Light. And, and we're going to come at every campus. There are receptacles down at the front at the altar. Somehow in a systematic way while we worship and sing, let's worship not just with our lips, but let's worship with our treasure. And, and let's give today to the Lord.
make us our prayer today. church because we, we just gave I want us now corporately to go give and, and we've made it really easy and because of your generosity we, we, we this week are going to provide Christmas gifts to 115 families 265 children all, all over our city Tulsa County actually not just in our city Tulsa County and there's a special group of people attached to the foster care system, but not actually in it yet. And what we're doing is uh, we're helping families who, whose kids have not been taken away, but there's been a, a consideration or a threat to, to take them away if some things weren't changed and, and some fixed. And so the, these families uh, are, are the courageous ones. Okay, I just want you to hear me say that. They're the courageous ones who raise their hand and say, we need help and are stepping up to do the hard thing to ensure that their families are healthy and the environment is good for their children the way that it should be. And so we want to minister to these families. We're not pitying anybody. We're ministering light to, to these families. And so what I want you to do is to go build a bridge and, and to get to know them. This is not a transaction. 
This is an opportunity to share the light and to share the gospel, to invite them to a meal at some point, to invite them to our church on, on the Christmas Eve services. And, and so at this point, I want every community group leader or appointed representative, okay? to come and take one of these uh, bags at, at, at every campus, okay? You'll grab this bag. It has a family's name on it. On the back, it has a number. And then you will take this bag to S1 down in the South Hallway, Room 1. And, and our staff at part of our Christmas party was we, we bagged all these toys, uh, two or three toys per child age and, and gender specific based on each family. And so you will go down there and take this bag, which has your instructions in it, and, and you will grab that bag full of toys. And then as a group, sometime between now and next Sunday, make a call, set a time, and, and go bless this family. Build a bridge, share the gospel, get to know uh, these families, invite them to our church. Now hear me, don't take this bag and then not go do it. This bag represents all that we know about this family, okay? And so if you take the bag, you, you got to go bless them and you got to take the toys to them this week at some point. Listen, some of these families are going are gonna to say, hey, we'll meet you at Quick Trip. That's okay. Listen, we don't set the terms of this thing. We're, we're going in with the light, just trying to love on people, right? And, and so you and your group uh, do that. And so right now, we're, we're just community group leaders are appointed people over here and over here. Come and grab one of these bags and, and, and we'll stay until they're all gone. Because uh, we're going to take care of all of these families. So either the leader or someone that the leader appointed, come and, and, and grab one of these bags if you would, okay? And let's bless all of these families uh, this week. There's one, two, three, four, five more bags over here and two more bags over here. So leaders, come on if you would. And our, our representative, come on. Uh, and let's take care of all of these families uh, this week, if we can, I think we have three bags left right over here. I think we're going to, one is going away right here. We got two, three right here. Y'all come on, come on if you would. And, and uh, no, come on, come on. There's still one more. And uh, we're going to bless these families this week. If, if you didn't come get one, would you just say a quick prayer and just say, hey, God, go before them, go before them, go before them, work this equation together, not just on our end, but on that end, would you get it ready for a divine appointment? Lord, we love you today. Let the gospel go forth. Would you use these services in the next eight days to impact this city in a grand way, in a great way. Use each of us as we go out to invite people and invest in people and build a bridge to people to bring them to, to these services, a time when the world is open, a time where America pauses like it doesn't do anywhere else in the calendar. Would you use us Use us, use us to extend the light into families, into lives, to men and women and boys and girls. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say amen. Would you thank the Lord today? Aren't you glad you came to church, okay? I will see you next Sunday morning. If you're a guest or brought a guest, right outside on the left is a pastor's guest reception. I'll see you there. You are dismissed.